Uh, good morning, church. My name is Rania. Uh, and today's first Bible reading comes from Genesis uh, chapter 28, looking at verses 10 to 22. If you're using the Blue Church Bibles, um, that's, page on, that's found on page 22. So that's Genesis chapter 28, and we'll be starting from verse 10. Jacob left Bathsheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth, with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on on this journey, I am taking and and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And and, and And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Morning, church. My name is David. Our New Testament reading is from the Gospel of John, John chapter one, verses thirty. Sorry, John. Sorry, John chapter one, verses thirty-five to fifty-one. If you're using the Blue Church Bibles, you will find that on page eight hundred and sixty. That's John chapter one, verses thirty-five to fifty-one. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, And they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas which, when translated, is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. 
Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote, wrote, about, in the book, wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Okay, well, uh, I'll invite you to keep that bit of the Bible open at John chapter 1, page 861, if you closed it. Um, Before I start, actually, there was one... I gave family news, and I didn't give the obvious piece of family news in our church family, and that is, uh, for those who didn't hear, King and April had their baby boy, Isaac, um, safely delivered. So, great news, and um, we're very thankful to God. Okay, well, we're going to spend a bit of time uh, thinking about this Bible passage that um, we just read, and I'm going to pray and ask for God's help as we do that. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are not a God who is silent. You're not a God who leaves us guessing and groping around in the dark. You have spoken to us clearly with your truth through the Lord Jesus. Please open our hearts, take away obstacles which stop us listening to you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there are two types of people in the world. Those who divide the world into two types of people. And those who don't. I'm one of those who does. So, there are two other types of people in the world. There are leaders and there are followers. And not only that, if you start reading any books or blog articles on this, you will discover very quickly that you want to be a leader, not just a follower. It is better to be a leader. It is a desirable thing to be a leader. Being a leader is best. Uh, I, I decided to do one of those online quizzes. It was called... Are you a natural leader or a follower? Had questions like this. What would you be prepared to do to get power? Which of these leaders would you hold up as a role model? Abraham Lincoln or Genghis Khan? Hmm. What's better, to be powerful or to be liked? And which Star Wars character would you like to be? Yeah, I'm not sure what that one was about. But anyway, uh, here's my result. I did the quiz, 25 questions. Um, My result said this. (laughs) Fond of a quiet life. You're not wildly ambitious, but, but you might fancy taking on some responsibility if you don't have to fight too hard for it. Play your cards right, and maybe you can impress the boss and stay liked as well. Now... The thing I found funny about this is that at the start of the quiz, it actually said, don't worry, it can be really good to be a follower. 
But then at the end, it's telling me, if you're sneaky enough, you might be able to trick people into letting you be a leader. Wouldn't that be great? Now, let me ask you, if you're a Christian in the church, do you want to be a leader? Do you want to be a leader in the church and not just a follower? Well, this morning I have bad news. There is only room for one leader in a church, and it's not you. And it's not me either, okay? There's only one leader in the church, and it's not us. But the good news is, it's fantastic to be a follower of the Lord Jesus. It is fantastic to be a follower. And today we're going to have a look at this reading from the end of John chapter 1. It really is a a fairly simple little passage about the beginnings of Jesus' group of followers, close followers, who we know of as the 12 disciples or the 12 followers of Jesus. It's a very simple little passage, but as we read it, uh, we're going to learn about how people come to follow Jesus and we're also going to discover some key things about who Jesus is and why people might come to follow him. And so if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, then listen carefully uh, and you might just discover something about why following Jesus is a great choice to make. We're not going to look at the passage, uh, go through it from start to finish, section by section, like we usually do, because it's in two halves, and when you read the second half, it's like you're getting deja vu from the first half. Uh, Basically, the same kinds of thing uh, happen twice. So instead of going through from start to finish, uh, I'm going to look at three different things that we see about following Jesus. Okay, so the first is that followers of Jesus bring other people to follow him too. That's the dynamic that we see in this passage. In fact, we see it three times. So it starts in verse 36 with John the Baptist, who we've been hearing about over the past few weeks. Uh, John the Baptist is with two of his own followers. They're just hanging out somewhere. And John sees Jesus. And he says to them in verse 36, Look, the Lamb of God. Now that's a, a shorter version of what We saw last week what John said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Um, If you were here, you remember James talked about how Jesus came as God's sacrificial lamb, the one who would die so that we can be right with God. And John's already explained that. So here he is hanging out with his disciples. Jesus is walking past and he says, look, there he is. But it doesn't stop there. Verse 37, have a look. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. And and then we get these strange little details where they want to find out where Jesus is staying. And Jesus says, come and see. Uh, And so they go there and they stay with him for the whole day. Now, the, the point of that seems to be that these guys didn't just want to meet Jesus, introduce themselves. They they didn't just want to listen to a one-off talk. Uh, They weren't just going to invite Jesus to be the guest speaker at John's next baptism party or something like that. The the point is they were transferring from one leader to a different leader. They wanted to become followers of Jesus instead of followers of John. Now, I think this is one of the most impressive things that John the Baptist ever does. It is so 
humble and self-sacrificial, isn't it? This guy is a famous prophet. He's probably a professional prophet getting supported by his loyal, faithful band of devoted followers. But as soon as Jesus comes along, John doesn't hang on to his groupies, does he? He sends them. He sends them to Jesus. In fact, later on in John chapter 3, verse 30, John says this about Jesus. He must become greater, I must become less. Isn't that a great, humble attitude? I've got to give up my status, my following, because Jesus needs to be greater. That, that could be your life saying, couldn't it? He must become greater, I must become less. And then we switch in verse 41 from John to one of John's two ex-disciples, Andrew, one of these two who's gone. So have a look at verse 41. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Okay, then there's a bit of a change because Jesus goes out and searches out a guy called Philip and says, Philip, follow me. And then look uh, at verse 45. Look at what Philip does. Verse 45. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We've found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Okay, now, if it's all a bit confusing with all these names and people, I'll put it up on the screen. What do we got? So John is a witness to Jesus. He's telling people about Jesus. And so... He then sends his two disciples, Andrew and another guy who's not named, to follow Jesus. And then Andrew brings along his brother, Simon, or Simon Peter. Uh, And then Jesus finds Philip and says, follow me. And then Philip goes off and finds Nathaniel. All right, all clear now? Okay, why is all this important? Well, for two reasons. The first is that in God's kingdom, we are all followers of one person and one person only, the Lord Jesus. See, that diagram's not actually right, is it? Well, it's it's kind of how it happened, but actually, it should be like this, shouldn't it? It should be like this. It is so important to understand this because we so easily get sucked into the idea that some celebrity pastor or brilliant preacher is going to be the key to me going on to greater things in my Christian life, don't we? We we get so caught up in the idea that the church is divided into leaders and followers, but, but there's only one leader, and that's Jesus, and the rest of us are just followers. Okay, Some followers might be gifted at teaching but there's still nothing more than followers of Jesus Uh, there are so many dangers in forgetting that truth Um, see for a start if 1,000 or 5,000 or even 10 people turn into raving groupies of one pastor or one preacher it is so much more tempting for that pastor and preacher to believe the hype that everyone's saying and to start thinking there's something special That is, it leads to pride for those involved in Christian ministry. Jesus warned against that sort of pride in Luke 17, verse 10. He said, so you also, when you've done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants, we've only done our duty. 
You know, every time I can think of that the New Testament talks specifically, specifically about leaders in the church, it says something negative. It says something negative. Uh, you could look up 1 Corinthians chapter 1 later, where Paul forbids people from calling himself their leader, from, from saying they follow him. Because we all follow Christ. And if we say, I follow Paul, I follow Peter, I follow anyone else, that's going to create divisions and factions in the church. And if you or I become avid groupie followers of some celebrity pastor or preacher, then it means we've taken our eyes off Jesus, doesn't it? And we've put our eyes on someone who is just as weak and fragile as you and I are. So however helpful that person might be in their teaching or in their example, you don't need to follow them. You don't want to follow them. That's a hopeless choice of someone to follow. Follow Jesus. Come to him and fix your eyes on him. How are you going with that? Um, Let me ask you, do you have a favorite preacher or author or podcaster or Christian blog Are you always recommending their stuff? Are you always posting stuff about that person on social media? What do you say about them? Ah, this person's the best. You should listen to them. I find myself falling into that trap, becoming the fanboy of certain Christian writers who just kind of click with how I think. Instead of just taking the helpful things that they write or say and using them to point people to Jesus. Now, whatever you do, there probably is no danger. But please don't become my fanboy or fangirl. Whatever you do, I beg you. Uh, And if you're a fanboy or fangirl of someone else, then maybe that's something to repent of. um, Because we should only be fans and followers of Jesus. Uh, The second application I want to mention is to do with our role in how other people become Christians, uh, followers of Jesus. Uh, See, this this passage is all about disciples who make more disciples. It's about followers of Jesus who get other people to follow Jesus as well. But I think a lot of the time we can put lots of pressure on ourselves thinking that we have to be able to convince people about the gospel. We've got to convince them that God exists, that the Bible is God's word, that Jesus really is God's son, that he did all those miracles, that the gospels are historically true, that Jesus really did rise from the dead and so on. And and we put this pressure on ourselves thinking that we have to argue people into becoming Christians. Now there is a place for convincing and presenting evidence and debating. But I'm guessing a fair few of you are sitting there thinking kind of shaking hearing all those things thinking oh my goodness I could never do that that just fills me with fear thinking that I could be smart enough to win all those arguments and convert people well here's the good news that's not really how it happens anyway it's much much simpler what do Andrew and Philip do they find their buddies all they say is we found the messiah we found the king we found the savior and then they bring them to Jesus and even in verse 46 When Nathaniel is not convinced, he's the skeptical one. You know, you kidding me? A guy from Nazareth? I don't think so. Philip doesn't try and argue. He just says, come and see. Come and see. And brings him to Jesus. Well, how does that work for you and me? 
don't think that you have to learn all these fancy arguments to prove all that stuff about Jesus. Just be willing to share that Jesus is your saviour and invite people to come and see, to check him out for themselves. Bring them to Jesus. And the way that we do that, the way that people meet Jesus is by opening the Bible. It's, it's as simple as that. Uh, we regularly offer a, a little course here called Meet Jesus. That's the name we've made up for this course. But it's really not a sophisticated course with complex philosophical arguments. It's just a way of getting people to open up one of the Gospels and check Jesus out for themselves over four weeks. Uh, we're going to run one again in January. So keep that in your prayers and your thoughts for uh, if you want to come along or get someone else along. But you don't have to invite people to our Meet Jesus courses. It's just as simple as saying to friends who know you're Christians, hey, do you want to check Jesus out? Why, why don't we read the Bible together? And then pick a gospel. Sit down, read one chapter a week with them or get an audio Bible and listen to it once a week. That's all it takes. They might say no. They might lose interest halfway and drop out. That's okay. That's okay. It's not your job to convert them. God knows who are his and he'll call them. But some will come and see for themselves. That's what it means to be a follower who brings other followers to Jesus. Well, the second thing that we uh, see in the passage is that when you come to Jesus to check him out and to get to know him, you actually discover that he already knows you better than you know yourself. I really uh, don't need to say much about this one. Um, It happens with both Andrew's brother Simon and Philip's friend Nathaniel. Uh, When when they meet Jesus, he says things that show that he knows them intimately already. He already knew them before they'd come to check him out. And at least with Nathaniel, maybe with both of them, that was a really significant thing in changing Nathaniel's mind from being sceptical to being convinced, yes, Jesus really is the Messiah. I don't know if you've had that experience with uh, old friends of your, your family, old friends of your parents, maybe, when you meet them and they say to you, I knew you when you were this high. I get that quite a lot, sadly. Uh, sometimes it's followed by, you were so cute with those big blue eyes and that blonde hair. Uh, it can be quite embarrassing, though. I mean, I was cute and I did have hair. Uh, <laughs> But it's just a bit weird to, to meet someone and for you they're a complete stranger and then you discover, well, well they, they actually know you. That's a little bit weird. What's much weirder is that Jesus has never met Nathaniel, but he knows him. Not just, doesn't just know who he is, knows him deeply on the inside and knows the details of where he's been and what he's done. That wouldn't just be weird, that would be scary. Just imagine that at the end of church today, you get chatting to the person in front of you or behind you here, and suddenly during the conversation, they start telling you about your deepest, most secret things from your past. They tell you about thoughts and desires that you hide even from your best friend or from your partner. Jesus is like that person. Jesus is like that person. Um, In the next chapter, John chapter 2, 24 and 25, it says, But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people, 
He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Does that sound scary? It kind of is, but one of the surprising joys of coming to Jesus is that you actually discover two things. Okay, first, you discover that Jesus does know you truly in your deepest, most secret place. But secondly, he still wants you to be his follower. See, if if you knew me truly, I doubt you'd have me. I really do. I doubt you'd have me. But Jesus invites us and accepts us when we come to him, even though he knows us more truly than we'll admit to ourselves. Well, the final thing that we see about following Jesus is, uh, it's actually the most important one. It's that as you come to Jesus and start following him and then keep on following him, um, you and I will gradually get to know him more and more and our minds will be gradually more and more blown as we come to know him. Um, In John chapter 17 verse 3, much later when Jesus was praying to his father shortly before his death, he prayed this. Now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Following Jesus and even finding eternal life is all about knowing Jesus and through Jesus, knowing God. Uh, And and the, the further we follow Jesus and the better we know him, the more we grow Uh, in our joy and peace and assurance and all those things. Now, I I don't know if you noticed as we read through the passage, but these followers of Jesus use a whole range of different titles and descriptions to, to describe who Jesus is. It's like they're telling us all these new things they're discovering about Jesus, and they're amazing. They're, they're glorious and grand and exalted titles. But actually, given what we saw a few weeks ago at the start of John's Gospel you also realize they don't know nothing yet. They've got no clue what they're really saying and who Jesus really is, just how glorious he is. Like I said, there's a bunch of different titles for Jesus, uh, lamb and teacher and so on. But I just want to pick out two main titles or groups of titles to show how it works. Uh, So the first one is in verse 41. Verse 41, when Andrew finds his brother Simon and he says, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. So uh, Messiah and Christ are both words which mean um, anointed king, God's specially chosen king. Um, These are Old Testament words where God promised that one day he would send a king in David's line. Um, to be saviour and rescuer of his people, and then to rule over God's kingdom in the whole world, rule over all the nations of the earth. Now, all the Jews in Jesus' time were waiting for God to send that anointed saviour king, and, and they were waiting because they knew that when that king arrived, that would be one of the signs that the last days had arrived. God's, God's eternal kingdom was just around the corner. So can you imagine how excited Andrew must have been when he bangs on his brother's door and says, we found him. He's arrived, the Messiah, the Messiah. 
Nathaniel basically says the same thing about Jesus after he was first skeptical and then he's convinced in verse 49. Have a look at verse 49. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. Uh, now we need to be a bit careful here. When, when Nathaniel calls Jesus the son of God, at this point, he's not saying that Jesus is God. Okay, son of God in the Old Testament is another title for that earthly king, the human king who would come in David's line. Uh, so David's son, Solomon, was called the son of God. Um, and you can see that from what Nathaniel says as well. He, he says the same thing twice. You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. You're the anointed king that we've been waiting for. Now, once again, it's, it's just an amazing thing that Nathaniel says this. Jesus is this little-known carpenter's son from a backwater, tiny country town. Nathaniel says, you're the Messiah the whole world has been waiting for. Okay, that, that's amazing, isn't it? But look back at what we saw in verse 14, near the start of the chapter. Verse 14 the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, these newbie followers are going to discover that Jesus is much, much more than even they realize. He's much more than just the greatest king who's going to rule over the whole world. He is the Son of God in a way that they'd never dreamed of. He's the one and only Son, the eternal Son, who's come down from the Father to live among mere mortals. He's the Son who is himself God. And that's a truth that we're going to spend all of John's Gospel exploring and having our minds blown about. The second title is uh, what Philip says in verse 45. Verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. Uh, now, that, that's more of a description than a title, but we saw the title last week in, uh, back in verse 21, where the Jewish leaders asked John whether he was the prophet. And John said, no, again, James mentioned last week, this is going back to Deuteronomy chapter 18, where God said that he would raise up a great prophet like Moses for his people. And once again in Jesus' day, that the Jewish people were all waiting for this great prophet to arrive. That was going to be another one of the signs that the end times had arrived. So again, Philip must have been trembling when he knocked on Nathaniel's door and said, we found him, the prophet. He's arrived. But remember what we heard in the very first verse of John's Gospel about who Jesus really is. Verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus isn't just another great messenger from God. He is God's own self-expression. Uh, I don't even understand that, so my mind can't be blown as much as it should be by that. But Jesus has eternally been God's essence and expression 
And so when the word became flesh, this wasn't just another exciting messenger. This was God's self-expression become a man to reveal God to us truly and perfectly. That's why it's so important that you and I don't become groupies of some other mere human teacher or prophet or pastor or preacher or priest because we can come to the eternal son who is God's word to us. Now, as I said, these uh, followers of Jesus really don't have any idea about that yet. But Jesus gives them a little hint, a little glimpse of his greater glory in the last verse, his final words to Nathanael in verse 51. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Okay, there are two things going on here, and Jesus doesn't explain either of them. I expect the reason we don't hear Nathaniel's answer is because he's just going... (laughs) The first one is Genesis chapter 28, the first background in the Old Testament. That was the passage we read, uh, the first reading about Jacob's dream. Uh, Jacob had a dream in which he saw a ladder going between heaven and earth, and there were angels going up and down the ladder between heaven and earth, and God is there reminding Jacob of his great promises uh, to restore and bring life and blessing to a broken world. And when he wakes up from this weird dream, Jacob says in Genesis 28, 17, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. What does Jesus mean when he says, I tell you the truth, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on me. He's saying, I'm the ladder. I'm the ladder. I'm I'm no mere man tied to earth. I am the link between heaven and earth. I am the gate of heaven. And the second Old Testament link is in that final title that Jesus gives himself. You notice everyone else was calling him Rabbi, Lamb, Messiah even. Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. And that's a reference back to another strange vision from the prophet Daniel, uh, where he saw all the kingdoms of the earth being destroyed and put to an end by God. And then Daniel sees this strange figure. I'll read Daniel 7. 13 and 14. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. The reason the figure in this vision is so strange is that it's really hard to tell whether this is a man or God, isn't it? He's like a son of man, a a human being, and yet he comes with the clouds of heaven. That's how God comes in the Old Testament. And he receives all this stuff that only belongs to God, all authority and power, the worship of all the nations, everlasting rule and dominion. Those are things that only belong to God in the Bible. 
Now, like I say, in John 1, when Jesus just drops this bombshell in the middle, I suspect they didn't understand anything of what he said. Their minds would have been blank, I think. They would have been confused. But as they spend more time following Jesus, and as we spend more time over the coming months following them as they follow Jesus in John's Gospel, they discover and we discover the truth that Jesus is the God-man. Jesus is the link between heaven and earth. Jesus is the human king who will rule forever as God become flesh. What can we take away from today? I want to mention two things as we finish. Uh, Sometimes it's only after you've known someone for a long time that you discover the more remarkable things about them, isn't it? You have to know them for a while. Uh, Way back when I was a young thing at church. There was this youth leader at church. He was kind of a friend of my older brother's. Uh, he was a really nice guy, softly spoken, quiet. He, he was a youth leader. He then went to Bible college and became a very humble missionary in the north of Italy. But one day I discovered, just casual conversation with my older brother, that this guy was also a mathematical genius. In fact, he came third in the world problem-solving championships. Never would have thought it meeting this guy. I want to say this morning that if you have begun to follow Jesus and you're thinking, oh yeah, Jesus seems pretty cool, stick at it. Stick at it. Because one of the joys of following Jesus is that we get to grow in our knowledge and appreciation of his true glory, bit by bit. It's a a lifelong process. Um, If you were here for the very first talk in this series, James Uh, John chapter 1, where James asked us the question, is your Jesus big enough? The answer is no, not yet, for all of us. The answer is no, not yet. The disciples saw Jesus and knew he was the king, but as he went on and they saw his signs and heard him speak, they realized that they were watching the angels ascending and descending between heaven and earth on this man. And we, no matter how much we come to understand Jesus, we ain't seen nothing yet because one day we will see the entire creation, the whole universe, ripped apart by the blast of his powerful word at his coming and we will see a more glorious creation emerge at his command. That's the true identity of the humble carpenter's son, Jesus from the back blocks of Nazareth. And coming to know him and follow him and growing to know him is quite a trip. So stick it out. Stick it out. And the second thing I want to say is that if if you're here and you're still not sure, I want to suggest that maybe God might be drawing you to Jesus, to follow him. I, I don't know how you came here today. Maybe another follower brought you along and said, hey, come and see. But have you considered the possibility that Jesus himself might be drawing you and calling you to follow him even though he knows you. Even though he knows you because he loves you and came for people like you and me. So will you come to him? Will you stay with him? Will you follow him? Let me pray. Father, please rescue us from the small-minded and foolish idea that we've 
got Jesus covered, that we get him, that we understand who he is. We know that really knowing Jesus is something that we can't come to on our own, by our own intelligence. That's something that we depend on you for, to draw us to him and to take off the veil over our eyes to see his true glory. For each of us, Father, please help us never to get distracted and fall into the trap of being blown away by some mere mortal simply speaking your words. Please draw us always back to glory in Jesus, to point others to him and to share our hope in him with others and invite them to come and see. Help us to do this and we trust that as we do, you will bring more people to come and see and to know and to follow. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.